You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, we uh, we did finish our experiment, and it's on to new things. And, and it's it's interesting because I was really just kind of flipping through some different things. I was on YouTube, like, all right, let's see what's going on out there. Very heavy narrative in the uh, offseason, because that's really all we have. There isn't really any data. You can go back into previous data and try to crunch more numbers, which we've already done that ad nauseum. Um, so it's kind of time to just hang out with different narratives. But but what I'm... <laughs> let me just put it this way. I just started a video, and I'm sitting here pausing it every three seconds, yelling at my computer. And I'm like, you know what? Let's just go ahead and push record. All right? I, and, and, and to be fair, I kind of was hoping to agree with this video. I have never heard of this show, but it will be in my rotation now. It is the Paul Farrington Show. It is a uh, uh, Vikings YouTube podcast, whatever. And the title is, Why NFC North Fans Are All Crazy. Vikings, Packers, Lions, and Bears Delusion. And I thought, you know what? That's probably fair. Because as I sit here and think about it, I do think it's kind of stupid for any team to think that they're the best team in the North. You can make a case for all four teams, but for anybody to be confident in that, in that is silly. Again, the Lions and Vikings make the most sense, maybe. Vikings won it last year. In fact, that probably would be my pick as the Vikings, because that's what I do almost every year, is pick the team that won last year, unless there's some major reason. And, okay, before we fully get into it, let me flesh out exactly what I mean. People keep talking about the Vikings in somewhat unfair terms, similar to how they do the Packers. People are like, well, they won 13 games, and they won 11, I think it is, of their um, uh, one-score games, and that's un- impossible, and so they're obviously going to regress. So what? They won 13 games. If they regress from 13 to 10, they're probably still going to win the NFC North. Regress doesn't necessarily mean bad. And, and really, that wasn't, well, I guess in some sense they were kind of bad, but we all understand that they're an extremely dangerous team. They're actually kind of similar to the Lions in that they've got a lot of deficiencies, but man, they can smoke freaking anybody. I don't exactly know how the Lions are doing it, as well as I can explain how the, uh, the, the Vikings are doing it. But I, I think that would be my biggest thing with the Vikings, is they, they didn't just win the North, they obliterated the North. And even though that was a fluke and there's going to be some regression, it's, it's, it's almost the exact opposite argument for the Chicago Bears. It's like, well, they won three, but they're obviously going to get better. Yeah, so what? Better than three doesn't mean anything. Better than three, I mean, you could more than double that, bring it up to seven, which I think is somewhat reasonable for the Bears, and they're still a garbage team. They could be last in the North with seven wins. Probably won't be, but it's probably going to be in that range. I'd be a little surprised if anyone's under five, just because that's just kind of a rare thing to begin with. But just because the Bears are going to get better record-wise, 
doesn't mean they're going to be good. Just because the Vikings are going to regress doesn't mean they're going to be bad. In fact, they could actually be a better football team than they were last year, but significantly less lucky, and again, end up with 10-11 wins, and that is technically a regression, and technically they obliterate the North, get into the playoffs again, and this time have a much better chance. I'm not saying definitively, I'm just saying this is what I don't like about these silly narratives that we just throw around that don't make any sense. The Vikings will regress, the Bears will get better, the Vikings could still be number one, and the Bears could still be number four. Right? This is me just interacting with the title as I'm, as I'm thinking through it. And, and, but, but again, the Vikings have way too many deficiencies for the Vikings to be popping off. The Lions still have yet to get into the playoffs. So until you at least get to that milestone, even flukishly like the Vikings did, I mean, that's the thing, the Vikings got in on freaking accident. You guys can't even get in on accident. This is like the best Lions team we've seen in I don't know how long, and you can't accidentally get into the playoffs? That's kind of crazy. For the Packers, it, it's not even necessarily they're going to be bad. That is, that is my contention. It's just that there's no reason to expect them to be great. I don't know what Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs and, and Jaden Reed bring as receivers. I, I, none of us have any idea what our tight ends are going to bring to this offense. We have no idea really what Jordan Love brings. We have no idea what our defense is going to look like. We don't really know what our special teams is going to look like. Is it going to be better because we have a full year as opposed to discovering our special teams midseason? Or are we going to regress because last year was a little bit of a fluke? There are way too many variables to put our team anywhere. And then the Chicago delusion is just, dude, you were the worst freaking team in football, and you really didn't make that many good improvements. Like, you had, that money really was a threat. The amount of money you guys had was a threat in terms of what you could have done, and you did, I mean, literally nothing. Every single Bears podcast, every single Bears YouTube channel had lists and lists and lists of guys that they were going to go out and acquire. We're going to get this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy, and we're going to tear everything up. They got zero of them zero maybe somebody out there said Tremaine Edmonds I have no idea I didn't see it and in fact I didn't see anybody even talk about linebacker or guard they were talking about tackles and pass rushers for the most part although Elton Jenkins they did mention but I think they wanted him as a tackle maybe as a guard I don't know they didn't get Elton Jenkins they didn't get anybody that they wanted they didn't really improve all that much so to believe that you're going to win the north although possible and there is an argument for it just like there is for all four teams is a little silly so my thought when I saw the title essentially was, that's a fair title. All four fan bases are popping off. None of the four teams really should be. It is kind of a terrible division that is waiting for somebody to emerge. Now, the, the, the biggest reason I like the Packers is because it's the only team that can't really definitively say is terrible. It's just a giant question mark. We don't know if they're going to be terrible because we haven't seen this football team play yet. You can't call them terrible. The Lions we've seen, it's the same team that missed the playoffs last year coming back. The Bears are almost the exact same team that was the number one pick in football coming back. The Vikings are largely the exact same team with a couple losses and a couple additions coming back. There's very little difference between those three teams. The Packers, it's just, you can't really talk good or bad about. But then he opens up his mouth immediately and starts talking about the Packers, and every single word he says is stupid, and it's insane to me that I have to come in here and even correct these things. But again, it's not just it, it's not just some random person saying random stuff. This is the consensus among Vikings fans, Bears fans, Lions fans, the national media, even some Packers fans. And I, I guess in a sense, I'm glad that nobody knows how to think because it gives me something to talk about constantly. But these are basic things that I shouldn't have to explain to anybody that should not be hard to figure out, and you got one guy just popping off thinking he sounds smart, and you got his co-host just sitting in the corner over there with a big grin on his face like, yeah, <laughs> get him. <laughs> and at no point do I look over at him going, mm, that's not really, that doesn't really make any sense.
because they think it makes sense. They're both just giggling and cackling and smiling. They have no idea what they're saying is dumb. So let's just start this. And I'm just going to comment as I was just a minute ago before I decided let's just push record. All right, here is just how the show starts. The funniest thing I saw today, Ziggy, I was on Twitter. I saw Packers guard Elton Jenkins. He said, quote, we feel like we're the best team in our division. Not sure if you saw that, but a lot of reasons for different teams to be confident in the NFC North. And I sat back and looked at it. And of course, as a Vikings fan, you know, I, I kind of just disregarded it. I think the Packers are bad. But I just sat back and started thinking, there are so many teams, like of the four teams in the NFC North, I have heard each fan base at different points say, oh, we are the best team for various reasons. There's so much delusion. So, so far, I'm kind of on board with it. And, and to be honest, I even disregard the Elton Jenkins thing because that's what he's supposed to say. Just like that dummy down in Chicago was supposed to pop off about how he's glad the, the Bears are going to be so good this year. And, you know, Rodgers is lucky he's not here this year. We would all this nonsense. Um, yeah, that's what you expect. You're, you're a football player. I don't expect you to go up and be like, mm, man, I don't know. Jordan's looking a little rough. He's not going to say that, and he shouldn't say that. So I tend to agree, and I also agree all four fan bases have been kind of dumb about stuff, whether that just be on purpose. And, and to some degree, that's fine in, in terms of fandom. Now, I think there's a line. I think on one hand, you can, you can just openly admit, yep, I'm just being a fan. I'm having fun, and there's nothing you can do about it. Go Pack Go all day long. We're going to win. We're going to... That's fine. That's just chatter. That's just. But to actually try to cross the line into no, I'm going to have an intellectual discussion about this. Here are the reasons, and then pretend that you're not just being a fan. That's when it becomes problematic because you're wrong. And again, I I, I would assume that that's basically all four teams in the NFC North. Because really, are any of these teams that good? I don't know. But I'm just looking at over over all four teams. The Packers. They're so used to whooping. That they they have no idea. All right, so very first thing. This argument that is constantly levied by people, we heard it with uh, Mr. Jaw over there, and we, we've heard it from Bears fans and everybody else, trying to get into Packers fans' psychological state as to why they would potentially be, you know, um, so wrong about these things, is a completely bunk and ridiculous train of thought. It, it is, it just throw it out immediately. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a literal um, logical fallacy, which I, I should start doing this more often because almost everything that any one of these guys say is some form of a logical fallacy. And you could probably break this down into a couple different logical fallacies, but I think the one that makes the most sense is actually called the, the mind-reading fallacy, which is exactly what it sounds like. Trying to make a case based on reading other people's minds, which is obviously very stupid. But the point is that this whole thing is, is completely bunk. Either make a case or don't. He's not making a case. He thinks he's making a case, but he's not. He's simply trying to explain why Packer fans are so unbelievably wrong and is therefore trying to understand the mental state and the emotional just trauma that Packer fans are going. I mean, it's so absolutely absurd. I'm getting tired of hearing it. If this is the best you can do to argue with Packer fans um, who are trying to assert that the Packers are going to be the best is to say, well, that's just because you have a mental disorder or because you don't know what it's like to not have, which I've already addressed is stupid. We watch 32 different football teams. We've been watching the Bears for years. We know exactly what it looks like. And, and beyond that, and he's going to talk about this, we've seen Brett Hundley. So th this whole line of thinking is a complete waste of everybody's time. There's no point in bringing it up. The only time it would make any sense to bring it up is if you can absolutely prove your case first and then maybe try to retroactively look back 
and say, I wonder why people choose to believe things that are false. But you haven't made a case. You're starting with trying to assess that as a way of proving your case, which is completely fallacious and nonsense. Yeah, what it's like going from a Hall of Fame quarterback to anyone other than a Hall of Fame quarterback. At yeah, least and, and neither do you. You don't know what that's like. Bears fans don't know what that's like. You, 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 nobody has any idea. So what does that have to do with anything? Right? I mean, well, the only fan base that kind of does is fan bases that have had Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And that would, you know, like going from Brett Favre to, oh, wait, shoot. But, but that's the point. There is this constant assertion that because your previous quarterback was a Hall of Famer, your next quarterback is going to be terrible. If you don't believe that, then what is the point of this conversation? The only thing that matters is how good are the Green Bay Packers going to be. That's what this conversation is supposed to be about. And so far, all you've talked about is Packer fans, are they don't understand things because they're just in this bubble. Okay, that, that provides nothing. And they don't know what it's like to go from two Hall of Famers to a, to, to a non-Hall of Famer. Okay, well, not very many people do. And still, that has nothing... You don't know what it's like. We don't know what it's going to be like because we don't know what happens after. Because there isn't an answer to the question. What happens after two Hall of Famers? Answer, don't know. Depends on the situation. Depends on Jordan Love. So why don't you address Jordan Love? You haven't done that. You don't seem to want to. The, the assertion is very simply, you're going from a Hall of Famer to somebody else, and so things are going to get much worse. Even though we've already done that, and it didn't get worse. Aaron Rodgers was a better quarterback than Brett Favre was. It got better. Most Packers fans, you know, for 30 years now, haven't realized that. I think they're forgetting just how great the impact of Aaron Rodgers, because in years when he's been hurt, they are instantly irrelevant. Right. Because it's a backup quarterback. You absolute dum-dum. Because we're talking Brett Hundley and Deshaun Kaiser. This is, this is exactly my point. The idea that if it's not Rodgers, it's Hundley. I mean, th think about it in terms of, of um, value over replacement. When Rodgers goes out, we don't go to zero, as in average. Rodgers didn't go out and then Kirk Cousins came in and we just went to, we, we won three games the rest of the year. That's not what happened. We didn't go to average after Rodgers went out. We went to absolute worst quarterback in the NFL. We went to basically Zach Wilson and possibly worse. And the very obvious reality is if Brett Hundley was the quarterback of the Lions, of the, uh, I don't know about the Bears, I, I guess the Bears. Brett Hundley might be a slightly improved actual passer, but the, the running is probably more valuable. Or if he went to the Vikings, those teams would not win hardly any games. What does Brett Hundley or Deshaun Kaiser or, or Matt Flynn, for that matter, have anything to do with the quality of the team as it stands in 2023 with Jordan Love? Which is the question that you don't seem to want to be addressing. So far, it's the Packers are going to be bad because the Packers fans' mental state. The Packers are going to be bad because after Hall of Famers, you're bad. And the Packers are going to be bad because when the Packers had Brett Hundley, they were bad. That's three different arguments. Not one of them even addresses the 2023 Green Bay Packers. Immediately, their season is down the toilet. They're right. a laughing stock in the league. 6-12-1 since 2008 when Rodgers isn't there. It's actually quite high. I'm surprised that it was 6-12-1 when Rodgers wasn't there. Not because Rodgers drags this whole team. It's not that. It's because whereas Rodgers pulls in one direction, Hundley pulled in the opposite direction. Rodgers pulled the team up. Hundley pulled the team down. Again, do the Vikings have Aaron Rodgers? If not, why are they winning? Do the Lions have Aaron Rodgers? If not, why are they winning? 
If the argument is, when you don't have Aaron Rodgers, you suck, explain to me why everybody else is winning. And I, and I understand the argument or the, the what would be said is, well, it's just because you guys are so horrible, which is so stupid. Because the Packers have had much more talented pieces on their roster than the Vikings have over the last probably since forever. Rashawn Gary is the best pass rusher in the entire NFC North. Jair Alexander is the best corner in the entire NFC North. David Bakhtiari is likely the best offensive lineman in the entire NFC North. Aaron Jones is the best running back in the NFC North. The Packers have the best backfield. It wouldn't be very hard for the Packers to have the best group of tight ends. We'll see how that pans out, but I wouldn't really be super surprised if that ended up being the case. Lions don't have any. The Bears don't have any. Right now, a uh, not-super-elite TJ Hawkinson is the best tight end in the, uh, in the NFL. The best defensive line is very likely the Green Bay Packers. The best linebacking group could potentially be the Green Bay Packers. The best cornerback group is very easily the Green Bay Packers. So again, either make the case that the roster is complete garbage aside from Aaron Rodgers, or get off this, because you're not making any sense. And again, nothing is even, it, I'm, I'm just going based on what I'm inferring that they must be meaning, because they won't just say, he won't just say what he's thinking, aside from just making completely irrelevant points about how bad the Packers were like seven years ago with Brett Hundley. We're just hearing them say, don't count us out. You've been horrible without Aaron Rodgers. Delusion. Oh my good Lord. Delusion there. Delusion there. It's not delusion. We all fully understand. See, see, you're phrasing it wrong. The Packers have been horrible without Aaron Rodgers. Well, not necessarily. I mean, we were better when Jordan Love came in against the Eagles. The team got better. And, and maybe it's because Jordan Love isn't Brett Hundley, isn't Deshaun Kaiser, isn't Matt Flynn. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe because this isn't a backup and a really bad backup at that. This is a first-round pick who is now taking over as the starting quarterback, the franchise quarterback, there has never been a franchise quarterback that has taken any snaps for the Green Bay Packers prior to Jordan Love while Aaron Rodgers was still here. Everybody else was a backup, and they were so bad at being a backup, we let them go as backups. They didn't even get to hang out as backups. They went bye-bye. There's no delusion there. The delusion is, is pretending that the Packers, who, by the way, had a significantly worse roster back the last time, 2017, maybe better wide receivers. Aside from that, there isn't much that's better. Maybe offensive line? I don't know. I'm not going to bother to go look at it because it's not worthwhile. I'm not even going to grant safeties because things were horrible for a really long time at the safety position and the cornerback position. But he, he, he went through the Green Bay Packers and didn't once mention the Green Bay Packers. What, what is one comment he made about the 2023 Green Bay Packers in terms of why they shouldn't be trusted? He didn't. He never mentioned it. He said, essentially, in 2017, Rodgers went out, and the team was bad. Okay. And? What does that have anything to do with anything? I'm going to let him go on to the Lions, just because I want to I kind of poke through a couple different points here, but also because it's funny because they make fun of the Lions, and it's funny to hear some of the stats. Lions. These guys are saying they're favorites to win the division. Very talented roster. You can't ignore... Right, stop. Very talented roster. What about the Packers roster? Do the Packers not have a talented roster? They don't even want to talk about the Packers roster. The only thing that matters in the minds of anybody out there in the world for some reason, there is some, I, I know I'm doing the same thing I said he's not supposed to, but it, it feels as though there is some kind of a magical spell being put on everybody to where they can't see anything in front of them. They can't see the Packers roster. All they know is Rodgers left. That's all anybody knows. Nobody knows a single other thing. 
And if you try to say that anybody is even good, it's like, oh, come on, Rodgers left and you think Watson's going to be good? You're an idiot. Like, it just, nothing makes any sense. Nothing makes sense. Look, you can't deny the Lions have a good roster. Packers roster is better than the Lions roster. Defense as a whole, significantly better. Lions have a better offensive line. If you told me to choose the quarterback, the wide receivers, the tight ends, and the running backs, I would choose the Packers across the line. That's not necessarily to say that we have the number one wide receiver, because that's probably Amon Ra, because he's like a top three, top five guy. Not to say Christian can't be, but I have no reason to believe that he's going to squeeze into number two. But beyond that, I know they got some guy that hasn't hardly played at all that everyone thinks is going to be great, but hasn't proven anything yet. I would much rather have the guys that we have. It is a young, stable, very talented wide receiver. They have one talented wide receiver. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a little bit more of a gamble. Maybe Dobbs doesn't really take a step and just isn't super elite. Maybe Jaden Reed is kind of a bust, which would be like the first Packers second round wide receiver that's busted in, oh, I don't know, ever. It's possible, but I'll roll the dice. Tight end, not even close. I don't know what our guys are going to be, but if you're going to take the Lions tight ends, and I don't even know who that is, over Musgrave, Kraft, and DeGuara, you're an idiot. And I will never pick the Lions rushing attack ever because they've never been able to figure that out. Last year, they had Jamal get a bunch of touchdowns, which is great. And then they shipped him off. And Swift, I mean, it was, it was a good dynamic because Swift is more of that receiving yards after the catch guy. Jamal's your, your hammer. It was a nice dynamic. It was the best rushing attack we've seen the Lions have in a long time. And then they got rid of both of them. And they brought in the Bears guy, who was supposed to be their elite running back that Bears fans were convinced was super great until they got rid of him. And then suddenly, oh, no, no, it's the other guy. So like their number three running back, essentially because I think Herbert was better, and of course Justin Fields was their best running back, and a rookie, which we all just have to concede is just the greatest rookie running back in the history of the world. Talk more about him than freaking Bijan. But again, even if you want to dispute some of these things, I don't understand talking about the Packers and not once mentioning their roster, and then switching the Lions and starting it by saying, look, you can't dispute it's a great roster. Yes, you can. You absolutely can. Nor 8-2, but they were 1-6 to start last season. And can you name me the last time they won the NFC North, Ziggy? Didn't the Buccaneers win the NFC North more recently than yeah, them? The Lions haven't won the NFC North. <laughs> they haven't won. Wait, wait. They haven't won the NFC the North? The NFC North has been around since 2002. So you're right on. The, the NFC Central was around with the Buccaneers. The Bucs won that in 1999. The Lions' last division victory was in 1993. We're 30 years since a Detroit Lions division championship. The Buccaneers, who don't even exist in, in the division anymore, have won the championship more recently. So when I look at the Lions right now and all their fans who are getting excited, I get it. You're very talented. Eh. Very talented teams make it into the playoffs. They are, um, I don't know, what are they? They are a, a team that has some pieces. They are a team that has, has uh, demonstrated levels of confident, uh, competence inconsistently and um you know they, they've shown they can score a lot of points although their defense gives up a lot of points i mean how do you measure good if not by success and they didn't have success they missed the playoffs right so i i, I to say that you know listen i get it they have a very good roster however i, I listen i think it's funny the stats on them and and it's and it's hilarious but if you're saying they haven't won since 1993, but they have a good roster, then you probably should believe in them because their roster this year is much more relevant than the quality of the team over the last 30, not including this year. So if you believe they have a really high-quality roster but are, are, are not persuaded because of like how they've been 
10, 15, 20 years ago. That's stupid. My contention has less to do with what happened 15 years ago and more to do with last year, right? And, and there's, there's, they ended real strong, right? No doubt about it. So maybe they'll continue that. I don't know. But they missed the playoffs last year. Largely the same team as last year. I think they, if anything, went backwards from last year. That's my, my thought. But if, if, if uh, Paul Farrington here believes they have a great roster, then I don't know why he's making fun of Lions fans for thinking that they're going to do something this year. Because that's, that's what happens when you have a great roster is you beat the crap out of people and you get into the playoffs and you, you make a push for the Super Bowl. So I very much disagree with that assessment. But you haven't ever won the division, so I'm not buying that. The Vikings, speaking of ghosts, speaking of cursed franchises, no one's more... Irrelevant. I'm, I'm defending the Vikings against a Vikings fan here, but I'm sorry, it's irrelevant. Cursed franchises, bullcrap. The Bengals were a cursed franchise, and look what they did. Right, The Browns were cursed until they, well, they, they didn't fully get all the way to the Super Bowl, but they, they, they had a lot of success, and they may again this year. The Jets, what weighs more heavily? Their roster, the defense, the, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson, I'm not even going to say wide receivers, Aaron Rodgers, or the fact that five years ago they were a joke and have been for the last 30 prior to that, making up numbers. But I just, I just don't care about curses. Just talk to me about the roster. More haunted than them in all sports. And here you see me and you, Ziggy. We're saying Kirk Cousins, top 10 quarterback in the league. We have one of the worst defenses in the NFL, but me and you are right here saying Brian Flores is going to come in and magically fix everything. I, I can't help but say I am delusional as well. That's, and that's a fair point. And I've talked about that with the Packers as well as everybody else. This constant drum banging that happens all the time because there's constant turnover of coaching staffs that, yeah, but now we've got this new defensive coordinator. It's dumb. You had your best shot defensively with Zimmer. Then you went and not only got rid of a great defensive mind, but then um, switched your defensive scheme away from what the players that are there run. And you fell off a freaking cliff. And then you brought in a new guy. And that's wonderful and all, except for the part where this new guy runs the same scheme as what you did last year. Not going back to what Zimmer did. It's much closer to a, you know, Mike Pettin style of, of thing. I know he wasn't your defensive coordinator. I'm just saying. He was there. He was a big part of bringing in that new front. It's the same hybrid front. Sometimes you stand up, sometimes you put your hand in the dirt, all that stuff. Why is it going to be better? The problem is you don't have a lot of really good football players anywhere on that team, and you're trying to make bad football players good football players. Now, you do have the two young or you know, second-year guys who didn't really play last year. Maybe they can kind of do some stuff. But wh where have you improved? Anywhere. Doesn't matter you got a new coach. It doesn't. Now, you know, significantly better than horrifically bad last year? Yeah, maybe. Probably. But that, you can't just say we brought in a new coach, so boom, fixed. That's dumb. That's also why Packer fans need to stop talking about we need a new defensive coordinator, because I think part of it is we blame all our problems on Joe Barry, which isn't the case. And we also believe that if we can just go find this guru out there somewhere, then we'll just have this great defense. It's not really the case. It comes down to the players. Right? A, a much heavier emphasis should be on the players than on some magical scheme that's out there. Joe Barry runs the magical scheme and it's not working. And then we, that blows us over to the Windy City in Chicago, where I have to listen to Bears fans oh. tell me that Justin Fields yeah. and his 60.4% completion mm. percentage Give is to about me. to take over this division. And it checks out because the golden boy of this franchise at quarterback has been Jay Cutler for most living Bears fans. The only ones you'll find. Paul, all things are forgiven, man. You and I are best friends.
mind who are saying, no, 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 no. Sid Luckman back in the 1940s. You're 80 years old if you've seen anything better than Jay Cutler in a Bears uniform. So I, I look over top to bottom NFC North. Lions delusion, Packers delusion, Vikings delusion, Bears delusion. All of us are just living in this fantasy world in the offseason. But that's what makes the NFL so much fun. All right. We'll leave it at that. Um, again, I, I generally agree with the sentiment that there is a lot of delusion. And, and it's probably across the NFL largely. Unless your team is the Chiefs. I mean, even if you look at like the Jets and the Buffalo Bills, like, you know, I don't know who's going to win that division. You should be relatively comfortable if you're a Bills fan, but you do have to watch out for the Jets. And I guess what? Miami is, is, is there. We'll see how, how Tua holds up, but I mean, that's a dangerous situation there. Patriots probably don't have to worry about them, but you know, and the, I mean, the, the AFC South is similar to the NFC North. It's just kind of bad. I mean, I guess Jacksonville probably would hold the mantle and I doubt anybody would argue with them. Um, the AFC North, you know, I, I don't know, but I, I would guess there's kind of a three-way battle between Cincinnati, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh and their fans. And, and listen, that's what fans do. And there's nothing wrong with NFC North fans popping off. All I'm asking is either, number one, put yourself, like, again, like, this is this is the Matt Ramage thing. He, he just flat out says, I don't know, I don't care, it's go, pack, go till I die. Right? Fine. Fine. And I will grant immunity to any Vikings, Lions, or Bears fan that says the same thing. Like, you know what, you might be right, but you can also suck it because the Bears, you know, bear down, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. All right, yeah, I mean, that's that's fair. I'm not going to sit here and try to beat you over the head and say you're not allowed to be a fan of your team. That's not my point. But anybody that wants to step beyond that and have an intellectual discussion about which team is going to win the NFC North, which most people seem to want to do, at least bring up points that are relevant. Vikings curses, Lions curses, and the Packers in 2017 with Brett Hundley are completely irrelevant data points. And I'm, I'm just so unbelievably sick of listening to people talk about how the you know the entire Green Bay Packers franchise for 30 years and and you want to get inside people's heads fine people are I, I I think it's I think it's bitterness how about that I think it's bitterness and anger toward the Green Bay Packers followed by you know jumping the gun and just assuming the Packers are going to fall off but the bottom line is that this this idea that's being manifested primarily among NFC North fans but is also being propagated by people in NFL media who are just so dumb. The idea is this, this, this is 30 years of a garbage franchise that has been propped up by two Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And, and as I've said a thousand times, that is so unbelievably disrespectful. Fine, Sterling Sharp is a piece of garbage. How about that? Sterling Sharp was trash, if not for Brett Favre. And that goes the same for Robert Brooks and Jordy and Randall and Jennings and Driver and Devontae. All of them are complete garbage. Aaron Jones sucks. All these elite offensive linemen we've had, just just dozens of them, all of them sucked. Reggie White was garbage. Charles Woodson was garbage. Clay Matthews was garbage. Gilbert Brown. and I mean, they, they, they were all just complete trash that were propped up by Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. This is, this is so painfully, obviously stupid. And as a result of this being stupid and fully acknowledging as fans that have not had Aaron Rodgers on their team that you don't need Aaron Rodgers to be good. Otherwise, nobody should have any hope except the Jets, including, I guess, the Chiefs. And, and I, I don't know. I don't, I don't Is it Aaron Rodgers or is it just like really Hall of Fame quarterback play? Then I, I guess, I mean, certainly the Vikings and the, and the Lions and the Bears shouldn't have any hope. 
I mean, even with that stupid, flimsy argument, the only team I think that should have any hope is the Packers, because it's the only team that could potentially have a Hall of Famer on it. Maybe the Bears and their delusion that Justin Fields is going to be great, based on his two horrific years as a quarterback. But if, if that is the reality, why would anybody but the Packers have any hope? Who else could possibly have a Hall of Fame quarterback? If you're putting your money on anybody else, although the Hall of Fame is pretty flimsy for all I know, Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff are both going to end up in there. But you know what I mean when I say it, and I know what he meant when he said it. Elite of the elite. It's just a pathetic argument. I would like somebody to actually address the Green Bay Packers roster for what it is. If you're going to talk about the Packers, then talk about the Packers. Don't talk to me about Brett Hundley and how you know that Jordan Love's going to be bad because Brett Hundley was bad. That's so unbelievably stupid. I mean, what would happen to the Minnesota Vikings if Kirk Cousins went out week one and Nick Mullins had to take over for the rest of the year? What would happen? It'd be a freaking disaster. Okay, so let's say next year they draft number one overall quarterback, whoever that ends up being, Caleb Williams, whatever. Would I be able to sit here and say, this is going to be a disaster? Because look at how bad the Vikings were last year without Kirk Cousins. No, that would be stupid because that has, that, that's a commentary on Nick Mullins when it should be a commentary on Caleb Williams. But that's exactly what his line of, of, of rationalizing, thinking, his line of attack was. The reason that Packers fans are delusional for thinking we're going to win a lot of games is just based on a lack of information. It's not based on a lack of talent. What are the positions right now that you can look at and say, I know, based on information that we do have, that this is going to be bad? Safety is the only one that I'm aware of. It's not corner. It's not linebacker. It's not defensive tackle. It's not edge. It's not anywhere on the offensive line. It's not tight end, it's not wide receiver, it's not quarterback, and it's not running back. We don't have piles of data showing that this group is, was, and has been bad. And by this group, I don't mean just arbitrarily. I mean this specific group of human beings who are going to be starting this year. It's either good or I don't know. And so I don't know is the right answer. I mean, technically it's the right answer for all teams, but we can at least take some information that we do have and try to come to the best possible conclusions. Um, I, I think, I forget who it was, somebody posted on Twitter yesterday something about the Chicago Bears and how they're, you know, they actually had a pretty tough schedule compared to what they have this year. Of course, no one actually knows. They were supposed to have the fourth easiest schedule last year, and apparently they had like the fourth hardest, and now they have the fourth easiest. So, so the difference between the fourth hardest and the fourth easiest, yeah, but you were supposed to be the fourth easiest last year, so who's to say you won't have a hard schedule this year? I don't know. But the point is, you bring information like that, and it's like, all right, yeah, I can see that. You know, the, the rest days, you get more rest days, and, and you look at the NFC North opponents, and it's like, well, you know, we have a, an advantage in almost every single one because we have rest these days, and they don't, and da-da-da-da-da. All right, yeah, that's that's all information that is relevant. And I'll, I'll, I will take that all fully into advisement. But um, that's very rare to find anything like that. Usually it's just this kind of silliness so anyways why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. 
So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so since we're having fun just kind of ranting and raving here, I want to bring up a couple things that, that have been mentioned by Chicago Bears fans just to kind of put things into perspective. In fact, I was kind of contemplating maybe we should look at position groups, as I said, and I was wanting to look at offensive line. And here's part of the reason why. One of the things that I've been saying for some time is that uh, it, it's both a positive and a negative. Bears fans seem to see it as a, as a negative and they get angry about it. But what I've been saying for a while is the Bears offensive line is not as bad as people think it is. In my opinion, that's a positive. The biggest negative, though, is you can't just blame all Justin Fields' failings on the offensive line and and therefore just assume he's great. But one of the things that Bears fans brought up is, okay, well, why don't you look at true pass sets? So why don't we do that real quick? Just to get a proper understanding of that offensive line. And there's a bigger reason that we need to do this. Let's go item by item real quick here. Left tackle is Braxton Jones. Braxton Jones actually had a 70.5 PFF grade as far as his pass blocking. That's pretty good. The problem is his true pass sets were a 53. Now, for those that don't know, true pass sets is PFF's uh, attempt to eliminate all the plays that could possibly skew some of the stats. So, for example, if Justin Fields breaks the pocket, they're going to scrap that play. Now, I don't know that that's necessarily fair to do. It may positively or negatively impact a player. For example, you, you block a guy for three seconds, that's pretty good and would get you a great aid. The problem is Justin Fields broke the pocket, and so they just scrapped that play entirely. So I'm not necessarily conceding that this is the best way to do it, but it is worthwhile at least noting in every mono mono situation, these are the grades. Braxton Jones drops from a 70.5 to a 53 PFF grade. That's quite terrible. That's not last year, by the way. Despite all the talk about how the Bears have massively improved and massively overhauled their team, they haven't. They're almost the exact same team. He is still their left tackle. He is still likely as bad as he ever was. All right, how about Tevin Jenkins? Bears fans love the guy. Big, massive, mean, just violent run blocker. He was never really that good of a pass blocker, but, you know, not terrible. He had a 66 pass blocking grade. You know what his true pass set grade was? 
It was a 37. Now, again, for some really weird reason, Bears fans love this. They love this because it means, ha, see, it proves that Justin wasn't to blame. Okay, but he's still your guard. So nothing got fixed. It's still that same garbage human being. So number one, you can't say, therefore, Justin's good. You don't know that he's good. You might still be really bad. But you're probably not going to find out because that same terrible offensive line that you've gone to great lengths proving to me is terrible is still your offensive line. Okay? So left tackle, bad. Left guard, maybe the worst pass-blocking guard in football, according to the true pass set metrics. All right, how about Cody Whitehair? Cody Whitehair had a 67 PFF grade pass-blocking. He had a 49 true pass set pass-blocking grade. So he's really bad. And I even looked, I went, I went back and looked at it. He has not had a positive uh, true pass set grade since I think his rookie year. Because you can talk about, well, he's changing positions. No, it doesn't matter where he plays. He's been bad since his rookie year. Then the right side of the line is supposedly where everything changed. And a big part of that reason is because they went out and got Nate Davis. Now, hilariously, I don't even hear anybody talk about Nate Davis. It's just, oh yeah, we went and got him. We got him. Would you like to comment on how good he is? Not, we got him, boys. Big upgrade. Here we go. Nate Davis had a 66 pass blocking grade. So even amongst his own offensive linemen, it's not that good. It's kind of like Tevin Jenkins. The problem is, if I use what Bears fans tell me I have to and look at his, pa- his true pass set grade, it drops to a 44, which is garbage. So everybody from left tackle, left guard, center, and right guard has a horrific true pass set pass blocking grade. And then they added a rookie, Darnell Wright. And, and for those that are curious and saying, well, maybe, you know, everybody has a worse grade when you're talking true pass sets. Well, not necessarily, I mean, generally, but not necessarily. And, and not as good doesn't mean bad. David Bakhtiari has a 77 true pass set grade. Elton Jenkins goes from a 67 to a 60. Remember, he got off to a really slow start. And, and I mean, from week 11 on, he was pretty much unstoppable as a pass blocker. It was, he didn't have his first good game until week five, though, and it was very intermittent all through that. And remember, he was a right tackle through week six. So I'm not sitting here trying to say, I'm just saying there's, there's not a big drop-off for Elton Jenkins. And even at his 60 true pass, he, he would be the best <laughs> grade of anybody the Bears have. Josh Myers is at a 60. Again, not necessarily great, but it's not bad. John Runyon is at a 63. That one's a little surprising because he's got a very good pass. Actually, both of them do. Josh Myers and John Runyon both have very good pass blocking grades. And then you go to Zach Tom. Zach Tom had a 68 pass blocking grade. So I don't know that there is a single Green Bay Packer that doesn't have a true pass set grade that's higher than the Chicago Bears counterpart, which is to say the highest true pass set grade of any Chicago Bears offensive lineman would be number six behind all five of ours, with the maybe exception of a rookie, but let's be honest, probably not. Why do I say that? Well, let's look at the pass-blocking grades of the offensive tackles last year. Do you remember Evan Neal? Evan Neal was the number seven overall pick, which is higher than where the Bears selected. You know what his grade was? It was 42. He had a 48 run-blocking grade and a 42 pass-blocking grade. It was pretty terrible. Now, Evan Neal, although it's significantly worse, could be following in the same path as Andrew Thomas, who was the fourth pick. He also had a rough rookie year. He is not one of the top offensive linemen in football. But as a rookie, he was not. He had a 54 pass blocking grade. Two years later, 90. So as a rookie, do we think he's going to be better? Probably not. How about Trevor Penning? He was taken 19th overall. He had a 38 pass blocking grade. Um, what about, come on, computer. Charles Cross was taken number 9 overall. Had a 64, 65 pass blocking grade. 
not exactly super elite. I'm not even looking at true pass stats. This is just a straight-up grade. Uh, Akamakwanu, who's taken sixth, had a 67 pass blocking grade. Um, let's see, Abraham Lucas was pretty popular, but he was a third-round pick. He didn't grade out very well. You know who did have the highest pass blocking grade, though, among rookie tackles? 78.1. It was Zach Tom. Highest graded um, tackle. In fact, Luke Tenuta ranked third. <laughs> so, two... Two of the top three pass-blocking grades were Green Bay Packers, and it's the only two Green Bay Packers on the list. So I, I guess the dilemma for Bears fans is if you're going to say the offensive line is the reason that Justin Fields failed, then you should feel confident that Justin Fields will fail this year. There's no reason to believe he won't fail because you have the same issues with the exception of one new wide receiver. The same wide receivers who failed him last year, the same offensive line that failed him last year, we're talking about, let's say, three, four wide receivers and all five offensive linemen, they're all the same, and they're all the ones that failed him, then why do we have any optimism? If you'd like to take a different tact and say, no, I think the offensive line actually is quite good and, and will be good and all that stuff, then you're going to kind of leave yourself a little bit hamstrung in going back and defending Justin Fields' ability to throw the football. Now, you can blindly say, I just think magically everybody's going to get so much better, but to me, that's sort of nonsense. Because based on no information, anyone could say that about anything. I think we're going to have a top 10 safety group, Savage and Ford, just because I think so. So, sorry, sucks to be everybody else, but uh, best safeties, just changing my mind right now, number one safety group, actually. So, burn... Anyways, that brings me to one final thing. And again, sometimes people say silly things on Twitter, which causes me to go look things up, and then I find some fun information. One of the things that was brought up, and, and it just, on its face, it was dumb. And so I knew that it was going to be dumb. It's just a question of to what degree, you know, what am I going to find when I look it up? Here's what I found. Somebody might even tag me on this. I can't remember. This is from some Bears fan who has Justin Fields as King of the North in their uh, Twitter handle thing, whatever. I don't know. And so you know it's going to be stupid. Here's what he said. Claypool had more catches and nearly as many yards as Watson just last year. Watson, Watson clears him easily, or Watson clears him in touchdowns easily, but reception yards is 6'11 to chase his 451 in a down year after a trade, and he still has more catches. So on its face, it's stupid, and everybody in the comments is pointing out that this is basically a self-own. Chase Claypool in year three, up against a rookie, didn't have as many yards and nearly as many touchdowns. But he had more receptions, which apparently means something. I don't know what. Now, what I know and what you know and what he maybe doesn't know, I don't know, is that Watson didn't really get a chance to start until week 10. I think he also did in week one, and then they shut him down, essentially. And then they, his, his route numbers went back up around week 10. Now, the other reason I know for a fact that Christian Watson is going to dominate him is because one of the metrics we've already talked about is yards per route run, and Christian Watson is nearly at the top. And so I know if you break this down based on not even how many games, but how many routes they ran, I know he's going to dominate. And so I looked it up. Here is what I found out. Chase Claypool had 451 yards and one touchdown running 423 routes. Watson had 611 yards and seven touchdowns running 270 routes. So he had 160 more yards, six more touchdowns, on about 150 less routes. Comparing Watson to DJ Moore is much more of an accurate thing, in other words, trying to compare them. But Bears fans are so freaking deluded 
that they're actually going to sit here and fight about whether Chase Claypool or Christian Watson is a better wide receiver. This is how absolutely brain-damaged Bears fans are right now. They're massively overplaying their hand with Claypool, who has already demonstrated that that was a terrible trade, and are massively downgrading and, and, and underrating Christian Watson. Now again, all of this is good for us, because they're going to get smacked in the mouth real hard by reality when they come to find out that their little Chicago Bears bubble that's telling them that Claypool's going to be so good, and Fields is going to be so good, and the offensive line's going to be so good, and the defense is going to be so much better because we did so much on defense, like get two linebackers, and our team's going to be so much better, and Justin Fields is going to be so improved because of one wide receiver. Reality is not going to go very well for them. But anyways, I very, I, I, this is very simple. All I did is I looked at what would Christian Watson's numbers be if we held them steady, but upped his routes from 270 to 423. Well, he would end up with 506 more yards than Claypool did, which is more than double. More than double if they, had, if they went route for route. And he would have 10 more touchdowns, so it would be 11 to 1. We are legitimately talking about a number one wide receiver compared to a freaking bust. Claypool showed some signs of, of being a legitimate something early in his career and hasn't shown jack since. To the point where the Steelers basically said, mm, let's get rid of this guy. And fleeced the freaking Bears for a f essentially first round pick, pick 32 overall. But I decided to take it a step further because Bears fans need a real wake-up call on this, because in their mind, Watson and, and uh, DJ Moore are in completely different wavelengths. Watson is this kind of mediocre guy that maybe showed a little bit of something, but we don't really know, and DJ Moore is like a top 10 wide receiver. This is how they operate right now, in terms of the way that they talk. So let's look at it. I said, for fun, if we compare him to the number of routes DJ Moore ran, he would be at 1,154 yards and 13 touchdowns. That's what Christian Watson's numbers would be if you held them steady, across a season, and just gave him as many opportunities as DJ Moore, which is, by the way, part of the reason why looking at stats and touchdowns is so stupid. It's why Aaron Jones doesn't get the respect that he deserves, because he doesn't get the amount of opportunities. It's why Dalvin Cook, who has never been as good as Aaron Jones, has been seen as a better running back every single year that he's been in the NFL, because Dalvin Cook gets a billion carries, like double the amount Aaron Jones gets every year. And so he ends up with more yards and more touchdowns, not necessarily per carry. I don't think he ever has. Maybe once or something he's had more... Uh, yards per carry. But why don't we look at it on a per opportunity basis? When I give you an opportunity, what do when I give you a route, what are you going to return to me? That's what yards per route run is. That's why I like that metric. 1,154 yards and 13 touchdowns. If we compare that to DJ Moore, it's 226 more yards and six more touchdowns. And I know Bears fans, believe me, I get it. Yeah, but look who DJ Moore's quarterback was compared to Christian Watson. I'm really sorry to tell you, DJ Moore didn't get a better quarterback. He got a worse quarterback. There are two major, uh, two main uh, quarterbacks in Carolina. Jacob Eason took five dropbacks. We'll remove him from the conversation. So it's Justin Fields versus Sam Darnold and PJ Walker. Justin Fields' PFF passing grade was a 54. PJ Walker was a 60. Sam Darnold was a 66. Justin Fields was dead last by a mile in big-time throws. P.J. Walker was 8.2%. Sam Darnold was 6%. Justin Fields was 3.8%. That's not super good for D.J. Moore, is it? Turnover-worthy plays, Sam Darnold was 2.9%. Justin Fields, 4.4%. P.J. Walker was slightly higher at 4.8%. I'm sorry, but if you remove rushing from the equation, which has no bearing whatsoever on D.J. Moore, the only thing D.J. Moore cares about is, hey, I'm open, can you get me the ball or not? 
And between P.J. Walker, Sam Darnold, and Justin Fields, the, the least capable passer is Justin Fields. In fact, I'm struggling to find one area where Justin Fields is better than Sam Darnold. He had a better touchdown-to-interception ratio, seven touchdowns, three interceptions, compared to Fields, 17 to 11. He had higher yards per attempt, a higher adjusted completion percentage, higher big-time throw percentage, lower turnover-worthy play percentage, a faster time to throw, and Sam Darnold was at 316, which is really slow, still beats Justin Fields 345. Passer rating of 92 compared to 85. I mean, the the only thing I can see here is average depth of target by 0.3 yards. And average depth of target is not a very worthwhile statistic. It doesn't mean anything. I could launch it 50 yards down the field at nothing, and that still gets registered on average depth of target. It has nothing to do with the accuracy of the pass or anything. The decision to throw it down there. That's why if you're really interested in depth, yards per attempt would be much better. Sam Darnold was a better quarterback in every category. And again, P.J. Walker was better in many of them, including just the overall PFF passing grade. By a a relatively substantial margin, we're talking 54 compared to 60. That's a decent margin. So I don't think he's in a better situation. And again, we've talked, I've talked ad nauseum. One of the things that gets me excited about Justin Field, uh, Jordan Love, I don't know why the two J's for the two quarterbacks, I don't know. But when I, when I talk about the excitement of the team rallying around a quarterback, the image for me is P.J. Walker. That locker room rallied around P.J. Walker. Nobody's doing that with Justin Fields. They'll say it, just like everybody will say everything. Every, there, there's no team where they're like, nah, screw that guy. They're all going to say that. But I'm talking seeing it. He's not getting mobbed in the locker room. There's no elite cornerbacks like Jair Alexander jumping on his back during a press conference saying best quarterback in the league. No, it's a bunch of people moping in front of the media about, yeah, well, this year we're going to show everybody, screw everybody. And again, a running back who left saying, I got to get out of here because these people don't care about winning. So look, you want to look at the NFC North. I, I think the Vikings are in a, in a pretty good spot considering the team that they have. They're not good enough really to be a Super Bowl contender, I don't think, because the defense is a disaster and I don't see it becoming good enough. Maybe it can be, you know, if, if they can be mediocre on defense if, if the new defensive coordinator can really get these guys revved up and and they can get to just being like a, a top 15 top 16 ish defense and that offense is just flying eh, maybe lions exact same thing because they're basically the exact same team team that can run up 50 points but the defense is a joke and the offense is also inconsistent there's a path and i can see it the packers of course There's a lot of questions, and if those questions skew positive, then it's going to be positive for the Packers. If the defense performs up to its potential, which is significantly higher than any team in the NFC North, and it's not even close, and if Watson just does what he did last year for an entire season, and the offensive line can stay healthy because it's already a good offensive line, and if the tight ends can be better than what we saw last year as receivers, which is a very low bar, and if our running backs can just keep doing what they've been doing, and if Jordan Love can be just adequate, yeah, best team in the North. Just like that, snap of the fingers. And there's nothing crazy about any of that. It's just if guys can just perform up to baseline average expectations, it's a good football team. The Bears, though, the only thing that could possibly happen is if Justin Fields takes a massive leap. And even then, they're basically where the Vikings and the Detroit Lions are. That's it. That's their ceiling. Now, that could get you into the playoffs, like the Vikings, even though the Vikings shouldn't have gone to the playoffs. But that, that's the thing. that the, the, If we make a massive assumption based on not just no information, but negative information. In other words, take everything we know and, and, and posit the opposite. If we do that, then yeah, maybe they can go on to be a really good football team. You never know if, if he could take a massive leap. 
but then you still have a really bad defense and you still have a bad offensive line and 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 this ridiculous hype for Roshan Johnson out of nowhere a fourth round pick running back who's replacing David Montgomery and suddenly he's going to be the greatest thing ever is so stupid you'll be lucky to break even in your running back room and you did not get better with your tight ends because you added uh, Robert Tunyon I can promise you that so your ceiling is to maybe be as good as the Vikings and the Lions. A scary offense with a pathetic defense. The problem is there's less reason to believe in the Bears' offense because we've never seen it, unlike the Lions, unlike the Vikings. They also probably have the worst defense of the group. I haven't looked super deep into it, but worst defensive front? Not even a question, it's the Chicago Bears. Worst corners? Well, I know it's not the Packers. It's honestly pretty tough at corner. I mean, the Vikings have got a rough group. Detroit is maybe the second best behind the Packers, so I mean, it's, it's I think it's Chicago, but maybe Minnesota. And then, yeah, they're excited about linebacker and safety, but I think they're overexcited. I've already said um, they've got Tremaine Edmonds, who has been a really, really bad linebacker for four years, suddenly broke out, and the, the hope is, well, he probably won't regress, which is stupid. But it's not just that, it's also Eddie Jackson. Four out of his first five years, Eddie Jackson was a pretty bad safety. He had his one big breakout year in 2018. He had a bit of a resurgence in 2022, right? What is that based on? Same thing it was based on in 2018, interceptions. He has, aside from 2018 and 2022, he has four interceptions to his name. He had six in 2018 and four in 2022. If he can't maintain that level of, of interceptions, he's going to plummet. Interceptions are always fleeting. So again, to summarize the NFC North, we don't know anything, and you can make a case for anything, but if you take the information that we do have, th there's only certain conclusions that you can come to with that information, and then the unknowns remain unknowns. But anyways, as usual, this has been fun, calling people, well, never mind, I'll be nice. Correcting some misconceptions, let's just leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day, I will talk to you tomorrow, have a good one, bye-bye.